Our scripture reading is from Paul's letter to Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. That's Colossians 1, 19 to 23. You can follow along in your Bible, or it's also available to you in the bulletin and on the screen. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thank you, Nathan. Um, do you do you remember? Do you remember what you were thinking on March eleventh? 2020? Okay, probably not. Maybe some of you. I'll ask it a different way. Do you remember what you were thinking on the day that COVID was declared a global pandemic? Okay, maybe still not all of us. The most world-changing event of our lifetime, hopefully, is happening. And at some point on that day, your, your mind had to ask all the questions. You had to start to run through all the implications. What will this mean for our world? What will this mean for my family? What will this mean for our friends? What will this mean for my coworkers? But at some point, eventually, you had to ask, what will this mean for me? How will this affect my life? I mean, you, you weren't human in that moment. If at some point you didn't wonder what this world-changing moment will change for me. Well, in the first couple of verses of the passage that Nathan just read, Paul the Apostle is telling the Colossians about the most world-changing event in history. Through the cross of Jesus, God is now reconciling, restoring, and remaking everything. Everything in creation and every person in Jesus, God is now welcoming into the peace, wholeness, and hope we've always wanted but never known. Through the cross of Jesus, God is now reclaiming every square inch of this universe that's been stained by evil. Every person in Jesus who has been marred by sin and is now committed to renewing it into something more stunning than we'd ever dare thought possible. If you are a Christian this morning, 
if you are a Christian, if you're someone who's come alive to the grace and beauty in Jesus, your sorrow and pain now have an expiration date. Your life and story now have a resurrection date. All because in the space of three hours, 2,000 years ago, the Son of God died on a cross and it changed everything. And so just like a global pandemic, at some point you have to ask, what does this mean for me? And that's what Paul's telling us. After looking at the cross through this wide-angle lens in verses 19 and 20, Paul now zooms in on the Colossians and on you and me in verse 21 and says, now let me tell you what this all means for you. So what does the cross mean for us? Two things. It means God makes friends who God makes beautiful. God makes friends who God makes beautiful. So first, the cross means God makes friends. Paul, he, he starts this incredible passage here by, by telling the Colossians their testimony. And he does it using these two words that Paul loves to use to bring Christians to new and renewed places of wonder, astonishment, and awe in Jesus. Once, but. Once, Paul writes, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, See, Paul, he's reminding the Colossians here of who they were before they became alive to the befriending grace of God in Jesus. That before the gospel, before it became true, real, and beautiful to them, they were alienated and enemies with God. And what's true of them then is true of you and me here alive today, apart from the work of Jesus in our lives. Apart from God moving toward us through the cross, our spiritual problem wasn't that we were bored needing to be inspired or lazy needing to be energized or confused needing clarity. We weren't God's acquaintance, Facebook friend, or old college roommate. No, Paul says we were his enemies Enemies in our minds, which means that our basic mindset was against God. And the impact that that left on us could be seen in how we lived. In the evil behavior that Paul says marked the Colossians' lives. And that marks our lives before we come alive to God's grace to us in Jesus. 
In other words, what Paul is saying here is that the scandal of the cross isn't just that Jesus died for his friends and his enemies. No, the scandal of the cross is that Jesus died only for his enemies, which was all of us from the moment we were born until the moment we became alive, the moment the Holy Spirit drawed us in to God's reconciling love for us. But what's that, what's that mean to be an enemy of God? Because, you know, for some of us in here this morning, that language, it, it resonates. It's hitting home right now. You know, some of us, we came in here today, we've got real anger with God. We don't trust God. We don't want God in our life right now. I know how that feels. But for others of us, uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily look like consciously hating God. For others of us, being enemies with God, it, it looks more like this indifference toward God. We have this aloofness towards him that, that we're maybe not even entirely aware of. God gets in the way of what we think we need to be happy, satisfied, and fulfilled. So we ignore him. You know, without even thinking about it, we, we assume God won't be good to us. We assume that we know a better way than him. And so we keep him at arm's length, hoping he'll just leave us alone. Now, is that something that you do with a friend? No. It's something we do with an enemy. You see, Paul is, he's telling us here, there's no neutral option Right? There's no spiritual Switzerland for us to occupy before God moves toward us in the cross of Jesus and moves into us in the spirit of Jesus. We are all enemies of God, desperate for a reconciling grace that God alone can give. But Paul, he's not reminding the Colossians here of all of this to, to send them and to you and me onto some sort of spiritual guilt trip. No, he's helping them remember of who they once were so that now they can rejoice even more in who they are now. God's beloved friends. Once you were his enemies, Paul writes, but now. You know, the pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, there are no two more hope-filled words in the Bible than that. But now, God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. This, in other words, is what Paul is saying to the Colossians and to you and me that the cross means for us. Once we were God's enemies, but now we're his friends. In other words, the gospel is not what I spent so much of my life thinking it was, that God banged the gavel and declared me innocent. No, it is also just as much God wrapping his arm around you and declaring you his friend. And all of this is because on the cross, as Paul says back in verse 14, God forgave all of your sin. You see, just like any just like any human relationship, 
where there's been real damage done. In, in our opposition to God, in my opposition to God, I couldn't just say I'm sorry and expect everything to suddenly be fine. No, forgiveness had to be given. A relational debt had to be paid and one that we could never pay. And so God on the cross took that debt on himself in Jesus. I mean, think about that for a second. God so desires you that he would move toward you when we couldn't or wouldn't move toward him with a reconciling grace in Jesus that we don't contribute anything toward except our sin, yet now completely enjoy all through the free grace of the cross. I mean, that is the reconciling heart of God. That, that is unlike anything you and I will ever know. You know, one of the things I've gotten in the habit of, try to get in the habit of doing, is when I'm in conflict with somebody, maybe it doesn't even necessarily have to be anything big. It could just be that, that first impulse I can feel in myself to want to passive-aggressively close off myself toward them. I pray the benediction and numbers six over that person, which essentially says, may God bless them, may his face be toward them, may his smile be over them, may his peace be within them. Now, as you hear that, do not for a second think, wow, Eric is such a remarkably loving person. No, I have to do that because I am so remarkably unloving of a person. Because I am so slow on my own to close the distance with someone that I'm in conflict with that, that I literally need to be talked into it. That I need to work myself up for it. Because if, if I'm being honest, in that moment, what I, what I really want to pray is, God, may you shake your head at them. May you frown at the thought of them. May you fill them with guilt and remorse. So instead, because I, because I am so restrained in my love, instead, I literally have to pray something that in the moment my heart doesn't even want or believe in the hope that as I do, God in his kindness will soften me, will change me, will free me to move toward that person. Paul in Colossians 1 here is telling us that with God, it's the complete opposite. That in the gospel, God, the offended party, doesn't need to talk himself up into closing the distance with us. He doesn't need to be warmed up or coaxed into the right mood. No, his heart is spring-loaded with a reconciling love for us in Jesus. That the cross, in other words, wasn't Jesus talking down his short-fused father or twisting God's arm into doing something that he never really wanted to do. No, as verses 19 and 20 say, it was God's good pleasure to reconcile us to himself. The thing, in other words, that made the eternal heart of God light up within him was making peace with us through the costly blood of the cross so that we could enjoy forever the befriending heart of God. 
And so is that Christian how you view yourself right now? You see, if you're a Christian right now, there are three ways that you can view yourself. One, a disobedient enemy of God who's always getting into trouble. Two, a forgiven enemy of God who's just happy I'm not going to get judged anymore. Three, a beloved friend of God who he doesn't just tolerate but delights in being with. I wonder how many of you like me thought Christianity was simply moving from category one into category two. Paul in Colossians here is instead inviting us into the biblical reality of what the cross really means for you and me. That once we were God's enemies, but now we have a friend in God who you can go to with anything and know you will never be turned away. Who you don't have to live guarded before anymore. Who you can let into every part of your life because through the gospel, God calls you his beloved friend. Not five years from now when you're doing better. No, today. And he'll never unfriend you. Even when we daily forget the reconciling grace of God and believe and act as if we are still at odds with him again because of the cross, God will always welcome you as a dear friend. So what's the cross mean for us? It means God makes friends who he makes beautiful. In the gospel, God moves toward us with his befriending grace so that he can move in us with his beautifying grace of the cross. You see, Paul goes on, he says, once you were alienated, enemies of God, but now he's reconciled you through the cross so that, here's the point of it all, he can present you wholly in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. You know, one of the things that made Apple into uh, what it is today was Steve Jobs' ability to capture an audience at a product presentation. Uh, if, you've, if you've ever watched some of his product launches, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He was magnetic. He, he had this ability to just kind of keep you on the edge of his seat all to, you know, at the very end, blow your mind as he unveiled, you know, his newest, most proud of creation that suddenly we all had to have. And, and people who've actually studied the way that Steve Jobs did his product launches picked up on a trend. They said he always had this showstopper moment that, that the whole product launch was, was coming to. This pre-planned moment, carefully thought through at the very end of this product launch when he would unveil in, in jaw-dropping fashion his newest, most proud of creation. Like the time he unveiled the MacBook Air by pulling it out of a mail envelope. And everybody just, people just lost their minds. Well, Paul is saying here in verse 22, 
that God has his own showstopper moment. When at the end of creation, he will unveil his most proud of creation. And it's going to be you and me in Jesus. Paul here in verse 22, he's anticipating the day when every one of us will stand before God. And if you're a Christian, if you are someone who's come alive to the reconciling love of God, despite all our suffering and sin, despite all the ways that we've been hurt and hurt other people, here's how you will stand before God on that day. Holy, without blemish, free from accusation. The embodiment of true beauty. Only what Paul's talking about here, this isn't just beauty in the abstract. Now think, think about this for a second. Who's the one person who's ever lived who could own with honesty those three descriptors of their life? Holy, without blemish, free from accusation. Jesus. Paul is saying we can anticipate now because of the cross the day when we will be presented before God as the showstopper of his beautifying grace, having been made fully as loving and as lovely as Jesus. And there is nobody looking forward to that day with more joy right now than God himself. And here's the best part. That beauty, that beauty is yours now. Through the cross, we are awaiting the day when we will be made completely beautiful in the security that right now you have been made legally beautiful. That as Paul will describe later in Colossians 2.14, on the cross, Jesus stood before God as we are, unholy, blemished, blamable, all so that we can stand before God right now as Jesus is. So that right now in the eyes of God, you are holy, spotless, and as blameless as Jesus. That right now he looks at you and thinks you are beautiful. So where in your life today, where do you feel disgraced, stained, and open to accusation? Where do you think, God can't see me like this? What are you most afraid of the people in this room knowing about you because you think if they did, they would never look at you the same way again? Where has guilt and shame become more defining to you than the beautifying grace of the cross? Dear, dear Christians, the cross of Jesus means that right now you are presentable to God. I mean, just think about that. What do we present to people? 
I mean, when my kids come home from school and, and, and they present to me a painting they made, what, what are they presenting to me? Something they're proud of. Paul is saying the cross means if you are in Christ, God's proud of you. That he wants to show you off. That he's in heaven right now just saying, oh, guys, just wait until you get to meet Drew, Amanda, Heather, Will. You're never going to seen anything like them before. Because on the cross, Jesus gladly took our sin and shame on himself and credited to us his beautiful life so that God sees us as legally holy right now with anticipation of the day when he will complete his good work of making you beautiful in the places that you today feel most unwanted. God makes friends. God makes friends who God makes beautiful. That's what Paul's saying the cross means to us. So what do we do with that? We cling to Jesus. Once you were God's enemies, but now Paul says, through the cross you are God's friends if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. See, Paul, he, he's encouraging now the Colossians that in light of what all of this means, in light of all the cross means to cling, cling to Jesus and nothing else, to press into a lifetime of a dependent faith, of a faith that doesn't move from the hope of Jesus held out to us in the gospel. A faith that's collapsing more and more of myself onto the cross of Christ. A faith with a growing understanding that all, all I need, all you need to have the befriending, beautifying grace of God is Jesus plus nothing. And so what is a dependent faith like that? What does a Jesus plus nothing faith like that look like? Well, it's a faith that spends time in God's word and in prayer. Not to put a smile on God's face. No, guys, Jesus already did that for you. No, it is a faith that spends time in scripture and prayer simply because I want to enjoy unhurried time in the befriending heart of God. It's a faith where, where Sunday worship doesn't look like one more thing on top of an already busy schedule, but becomes the need and joy of my heart. Because we know every week we come in here and are suffering in sin and are received, restored, and renewed by the grace of God and Jesus for us. It's a faith that thrives in a community of brothers and sisters who can speak the truth of the cross to me when I am tempted to believe the lies of Satan that want to shame me and accuse me. And it's a faith that's freed to own and confess our sin more quickly 
and more specifically, because ultimately, we're not fixating on our failures, but on Jesus and his cross, where God's made us his friends and is making us beautiful. Let's pray. Father, this is truly the most world-changing moment of history. The cross of Jesus. Where in the space of three hours, 2,000 years ago, the Son of God died for us and it changed everything. Father, thank you that we can stand here today and know that through the cross you have befriended us and are making us beautiful. Holy Spirit, help us to press into that even more today, to cling to Jesus and nothing else in anticipation of the day that God with joy is going to present us to the whole creation and say, look at who I have made through the cross and resurrection of my son, Jesus. Amen.